Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Our first case for argument this morning is Lay v. Saul. Mr. Horn. May it please the court, counsel. This case is about a pain disorder, principally. The pain disorder is reflex sympathetic dystrophy syndrome, also known as complex regional pain syndrome. And if you don't mind, I'll just refer to it as the pain disorder because repeating that is going to cut into my time significantly. The pain disorder was diagnosed by a pain doctor. And the pain doctor's disabling opinion was that claimant could only be on his feet less than one hour of eight, sit less than two hours of eight, only occasionally reach, handle, finger, or feel, and could not work a full day. That precludes work. The pain doctor had performed 18 procedures by the time he issued that opinion in July 2014. Overwhelming objective evidence supported his opinion. From September of 2009 until March of 2017, claimant had 34 procedures. Many of them could have resulted in paralysis or even death. But that wasn't enough for the administrative law judge in this case. The pain disorder resulted from a thoracic fracture in 2001. That's what caused the pain disorder. And we submit that the administrative law judge's reduction of claimant's residual functional capacity to sedentary was inadequate to reflect the pain disorder, the limitations caused by the pain disorder. Because it's a pain disorder that resides in his nerves. It really doesn't necessarily have anything to do with exertion. And he testified at this hearing that he could only concentrate 75% of the time, which the vocational expert... That's the record of most people, but go ahead. Yes. He could only concentrate 75% of the time, which precludes work, which precluded work according to the vocational expert. Now, the administrative law judge chose to discredit him and reject the pain doctor's opinion in favor of the opinion of a non-treating, non-examining nephrologist, that's a kidney doctor, for one reason, because claimant hadn't gotten a spinal stimulator fast enough. But the ALJ seems not to have noticed that he... Counsel, our time is short. Yes. And you've so far not even mentioned the governing standard of review. The question for us is whether there is substantial evidence for the ALJ's decision. Well, no, there's... Not whether it's something we independently agree with. You might want to address that. Happily. The standard would be that it's patently wrong, and it most certainly is patently wrong. No, the standard is whether there is substantial evidence. But there's not. There's not substantial evidence. You need to address the standard rather than just repeating the argument that neither the ALJ nor the district judge fought. The ALJ was required to give good reasons for the 
rejection of the claimant's credibility and account of his subjective symptoms, and the ALJ was required to give good reasons for the rejection of the opinion of the treating pain doctor. That's why the standard is met in this case. The administrative law judge failed to get a medical opinion to support her assessment of the limitations caused by the evidence submitted since the last state agency review, which showed aggravation of claimant's shoulder problems and aggravation of his migraines. The migraines were never even properly considered by the reviewers. So the line of cases that begins with Goins and goes through stage says there has to have been a medical opinion to support the administrative law judge's opinion of what limitations were caused by the worsening of the migraines and the shoulder problems. And, of course, this is against a background where this claimant was a type 1 diabetic who had type 1 diabetes since the age of 8, and he had an insulin pump since the age of 30. That is why the standard is met. Is there any other question I can respond to? No, it seems not. Thank you. Ms. Siegel. Good morning, Your Honor. My name is Catherine Siegel. I represent the Commissioner of Social Security in this case. The standard of review is substantial evidence. You're reviewing whether substantial evidence supported the ALJ's decision. You are not to reweigh the evidence. The court has a deferential standard of review. You're not substituting the judgment that you reached after you review the evidence on your own and make a different decision from the ALJ. You are deciding whether the ALJ has substantial evidence to support her decision. And here, as you pointed out, Mr. Lay invites the court to reweigh the evidence rather than pointing out what was missing from the ALJ's decision. Also, the burden of producing evidence of the claimant's disability is on the claimant through Step 4. The claimant has a responsibility to produce evidence under both the Act and the regulations. And when he's represented by an attorney like Mr. Horn, who's helping him present his case to the agency, he's presumed to have presented his best case for disability. I just want to briefly cover some of the things that Mr. Horn has raised regarding some of the things that he claims were missing. With regard to concentration deficits, the ALJ did a very comprehensive analysis of the claimant's allegations with regard to concentration. She asked questions of the claimant about this, and the claimant said that he was 
off task about 25% of the time, on task about 75% of the time, and the ALJ weighed that testimony against other things in the record that showed that he did have some uh, ability to concentrate. In particular, she pointed to the ability to drive his children to and from school, which she felt was a significant concentration requirement. Um, you, if you were off task driving your children to school, you, you know, even for a minute, if you were taking a short drive, you could have an accident. So clearly, he's, his ability to concentrate doesn't appear to be as limited as the claimant is alleging. The other things that um, she also considered in, talk, in deciding whether that allegation was um, worth giving great weight um, was whether was the, the claimant's uh, ability to help his children with his homework, with their homework, and also um, just the uh, evidence about the, um, um, the mental status examinations that he got from the doctors. The, the doctors, time and time again, looked at his concentration and said it was normal. And then also the claimant in an agency report said that um, he was able to pay attention without any problems and was able to have um, uh, follow instructions and uh, didn't have any problem with handling uh, changes in work routine. Um, the claimant is saying also that, um, that the main problem that he has is a pain syndrome that's caused by a back fracture. And the back fracture is at T, was at T12, um, the thoracic spine, so that's about midway through the chest. Um, and the allegations of pain are occurring in his feet and lower back. And the treatment that the claimant received for this back impairment occurred before the time that he's claiming he was disabled. The, the actual injury occurred in 2001, um, and then he had a procedure in, in February of 2010, about eight months before his alleged onset of disability, where he had a, a vertebroplasty, which is a kind of injection of bone cement um, that stabilizes the back. Um, that was the basis for the, um, that, the, that the treating physician, Dr. Anwar, gave for limiting um, the claimant's ability to sit and stand. Um, to a very significant degree. Uh, the lifting restrictions were actually greater than what the ALJ assessed. Um, and the ALJ, when assessing the, the, the reasons for rejecting Dr. Anwar's opinion about um, the, the limitations that on the standing and walking in particular, um, she, re she looked over what the reasons were that the, the doctor gave um, for assessing these limits. And the only thing that this doctor put was compression fracture, which presumably referred to that, that one compression fracture from 2001. She did not refer to a pain syndrome. She did not refer to complex regional pain syndrome or RSD or any of those um, conditions that the claimant is now claiming is the basis for his disabling pain. Um, she said the limits were based on a compression fracture. That wasn't much of an explanation, and that was one of the reasons that the ALJ gave for saying, I'm not going to give all those limits great weight. I'm going to give it little weight. Um, she also looked at some of the inconsistencies within that report, on the face of the report. One of the things that Dr. Anwar said about uh, lifting was that the claimant could frequently lift 11 to 20 pounds and only occasionally lift 1 to 10 pounds. Um, and that, that 
on its face was inconsistent. It doesn't seem right that someone should be able to frequently lift more than um, the lower amount. So um, those, were, those were two of the reasons that the, the ALJ gave. Um, and also, I'd like to point out that um, Dr. Anwar's opinion was considered by Dr. Belinsky um, before giving the restriction. The, Dr. Belinsky is the state agency reviewing physician. Dr. Anwar's report and Dr. Anwar's medical findings were, were considered by that doctor, reviewed by that doctor, and then the doctor came to a sedentary work capacity. Um, the sedentary work capacity that Dr. Belinsky gave lines up pretty well with the ALJ's restrictions. Uh, it provides substantial evidence for the ALJ's residual functional capacity finding. Um, and because Dr. Anwar did not provide much of an explanation, even though there was space on the form, this court could um, reasonably expect the, the ALJ to consider that and to give that as a reason, and which she did. She gave that as a reason for not accepting the, the uh, limitations on that checkbox form. Um, The ALJ did actually consider a lot of different factors in um, assessing the, the claimant's pain and, and what impact it had on, on functioning. Um, in addition to the medical records and the, the physician opinions regarding the, the claimant's symptoms, um, she also considered the claimant's activities. And one of the more interesting activities that the claimant engaged in was um, racing radio-controlled cars. He owned and operated a business um, in which he uh, ran a racetrack uh, for these radio-controlled cars, and he did this during the time that he said that he was disabled. That's um, 2012, 2013, and 2014, right in the middle of the period that he's claiming he's disabled. And um, so the ALJ asked uh, a lot of questions about that, um, and the claimant explained that um, he did this activity on Friday evenings from 7 to 11 every week during this three-year period, that he actually opened the racetrack for the players and that he collected money and that he also participated in the racing with these little radio control boxes that they, they operate the, the racetrack with. Um, and uh, the reason for closing it were that uh, the owner of the, the warehouse where this racetrack was located um, and that he was renting, they, they decided to sell the, the warehouse and the new owner didn't want to have the racetrack in there anymore. Um, and also, he wasn't making much money at doing this, and then he said it was no longer fun. So at least two of the reasons are, are not related to a disability basis. Um, and even the last one, not having as much fun doing it, presumably because he's in pain, um, that's only one out of the three that, that was reason for closing, and it was pretty substantial activity. One of the things that the ALJ said about why she considered it, she didn't equate it to work, um, in it this really part of isn't necessary to repeat what the ALJ said. You okay. can assume we've read it. Okay. Um, I just wanted to point out um, that um, let's see. Uh, that the claimant hasn't identified any, any evidence that um, occurred after Dr. Belinsky's opinion that would um, cause the ALJ to change her mind about the restrictions 
and the claimant did not point out any specific medical findings that would indicate a specific limitation that was left out of the ALJ's decision. The limits on the environmental limits for... Thank you, counsel. Anything further, Mr. Horne? The doctor said elsewhere in the record that the fracture of the thoracic spine caused the RSTS. And the real standard that the court has to consider here is the harmless error standard. Counsel, the standard is substantial evidence. Well, the judge broke the rules. That's the statutory rule which we try to follow. But substantial evidence, as I pointed out, doesn't support the decision. One of the reasons the ALJ relied upon to discredit the claimant was the failure to move fast enough with the stimulator. But as I counted, the stimulator was inserted four times and removed three times because of insurers. The standard for harmless error is that a reasonable trier of fact would have to be unable to find any other decision than the one that the ALJ found. And that's simply not the case. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. The case is taken under advisement.